This is an NBC News special report. Here's... Welcome to the RC Roundtable podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to a special election edition of the RC Roundtable, where it's decision. <laughs> yes, <laughs> decision 2019 AMA, or, or hot off the press, or decision AMA in 2019. That sounds better. There you go. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is something we've never done before, and we have. This is something we kind of kept quiet until we were sure that we could work it out, and lo and behold, it actually worked out quite well. So, what we present to you in this episode is the three candidates running for AMA presidency: Eric Williams, Rich Hansen, and Randy Cameron. Is that good? Yes. Was Perfect. That- was that exciting? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sit back and uh, listen to the candidates speak as we uh, interrogate them, nicely that is, uh, on their views, the future of the AMA, and what they will bring to the table if they win the presidency, or in one case, uh, rewins the presidency. And I hope you find the conversation just as interesting as we did. And I think we should add that We received their campaign statements in the mail along with the ballot. So our intent with this is to give these fellows an opportunity to expand beyond the 300 or 500 words, whatever it is here, to give us a little bit better insight into what their positions are on the the topics that are facing modelers today. Of course, we're also interested in how you thought this went and your opinions and observations on this type of format we're very curious to see what you thought of it and hopefully and we can do this again sometime in the future so without further ado our first guest is coming up okay first up for our interview is Eric Williams. He is the AMA Vice President for District 2, and we're glad to have you on, Eric. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you guys. We'd like to give you a, a minute or two here to give us a little introduction about yourself. Tell the listeners about who you are and why you would like to be AMA President. Sure. Well, thank you. So, um, yes, I, Vice President for AMA District 2. Um, I will tell you, I started my modeling career when I was about eight years old. And that uh, went the, kind of the traditional route with clubs and so forth, and was a club officer in uh, various clubs at uh, uh, vir- virtually all different positions, president, newsletter editor, so forth. And then around 19, excuse me, uh, 2007, uh, I contacted Dave Matheson, who was the new elected AMA president, and just wanted to congratulate him. And we started to talk about things such as uh, strategic planning that the AMA was doing. And Dave said, you know, I'd like to have you talk with our executive director at that time, Jim Cherry. And I spoke with Dave and uh, uh, Jim. We had about a two and a half hour conversation. And I started working with AMA uh, and, and making suggestions towards the strategic planning. Uh, from there, I became an associate vice president. And uh, then in about 2010, uh, Gary Fitch, uh, the previous uh, VP for District 2, appointed me as an interim appointee. And uh, then I was elected. And so here I am today as uh, vice president with uh, District 2 for District 2. I serve on various committees. Uh, I serve as chairman of the museum committee. Uh, I also serve on our uh, advanced technology and flight systems committee with Andy Eugenio. Uh, I've served on our uh, bylaws committee. Um, I've served on ad hoc legal review committee um, and our executive director search committee with, uh, with Andy Eugenio this year. Uh, the experience I bring to AMA is not just as a modeler who has traditional roots and very deep roots, and I do to this day in my local club that, that I belong to, but it's all in, so in my experience in uh, organizations. Uh, that's what I did as a career. Uh, I was an organizational consultant for uh, all types of organizations. Uh, we work for state entities, federals, and so forth, and I think I have a good perspective on uh, looking at all the constituents and all of the stakeholders, be they our members, being the government, uh, being the industry players, 
and pulling that together in the best interest of, of model aviation. I also think you'll find my record uh, in working with uh, uh, municipalities and state agencies in my district uh, is pretty remarkable in what we've been able to defend uh, in, in not having onerous uh, local and state legislation. We virtually beat down all of those um, um, legislative uh, initiatives that were coming along. And members uh, really don't have to be concerned with those at the local level too much in the district. And I'd like to bring that same thing to what we do on the national level. Very good. Thank you. My next question is, what are your thoughts on recruiting and accommodating non-traditional modelers or non-AMA members? Well, that's always been a bit of a, a struggle for AMA. It wasn't so much as in the 40s, 50s, and 60s when, you know, modeling was sort of the thing to do for us nerd types or our types that like mechanical things and so forth. But then there became other competing uh, interests, as we know, right? It's all too obvious. Uh, the Internet, uh, new technologies, new pastimes, and so forth. Um, I think we still have a very bright future, future for model aviation for all aspects and for the non-members as well. But I think AMA has to certainly improve in many areas, such as communications, its relationship with its members, its relationships with its external stakeholders and so forth, to present a, a do a better job and present a better picture probably than it, than it has been doing about model aviation and the rewards of model aviation, not just for, for flyers and, and recreational enthusiasts, but also contributions to society. Um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, aerospace engineers, pilots, and so forth. I think there are a lot of great opportunities. Uh, but we have to do, again, a better job of positioning what our value is and communicating that uh, to outside world, even in our existing members, our current members. We have to do a better job of that as well. Do you mind if I had a follow-on there, Lee? Go ahead. So, Eric, in answering that question, it sounded like you were focusing on uh, relating to people who – currently don't do any form of modeling. I think another way to interpret that question is people who are into modeling, but don't necessarily sure. follow the traditional AMA path. So I think gotcha. the, the, the family who goes and buys a, a DJI Phantom at Best Buy, or even in a larger sense, the whole flight test community, which is a very active uh, group of people. But uh, I think AMA membership is more the exception than the norm with them. So, uh, again, and same question with those people in mind. There is a large audience of model aviation enthusiasts who are not AMA members. They don't belong to clubs and they don't belong to AMA. And AMA needs to do a better job, frankly, of promoting what the value of AMA is. Uh, we have an insurance program, but that's widely misunderstood in a lot of quarters about the insurance program and what it provides. Uh, we have great programs, educational programs with youth. I don't know if they're focused in the right places to attract the outside audience and to really show the fun and educational aspects of model aviation in terms of what AMA is doing. Um, there are other parties out there, groups that are doing great jobs at that. And I think AMA needs to refocus itself on that and refocus its, basically its value proposition of what it has to offer to the to these uh uh, other hobbyists that are not AMA members. Eric, do you happen to know what the age limit is to have the junior AMA membership at no charge? 19 by the uh, July 31st uh, of, of the particular year um, for an individual. So 18 and, you know, if you turn 19, then that's the breakover point. I think that kind of adds to what you were saying about getting the youth involved, too, because I think a lot of people don't understand the membership setup because you can get a lot of youth involved at no charge. Some people have balked about the cost, but I think right there is, is a wonderful value of the AMA that some people don't know about. Oh, absolutely. Uh, youth membership is free. Uh, youth, youth members will receive a, uh, and do receive an electronic newsletter that's geared towards them. Um, but, you know, that value proposition for youth members that's something that AMA really has to refine. And it's not just about, um, you know, showing a better picture of what our menu of offering is. It's about changing those offerings. It's about tailoring those offerings. Uh, one of the things that's always concerned me is that our educational offerings, they don't seem to be structured to be age appropriate. So for uh, young people that are elementary school age, 
that's an entirely different interest and a perspective than, say, middle schoolers uh, or junior high, right, where uh, the um, a bit comprehension level is different, the interest level is different, and what the things they want to do with, with modeling and so forth. And we need to be a little bit more strategic about that to better serve that potential audience. I'm going to touch on something you said, Eric, and it's one of the questions we have is uh, some members have responded that there's been a lack of communication between the AMA and its members uh, regarding administrative issues and other things. Uh, How would you improve lines of communication for members? Well, those uh, communication is something that's near and dear to me because that's my specialty and that's uh, uh, my my craft in working with organizations. Um, AMA really needs to ramp up and chain, you know, alter in certain places how we communicate. So I'll give you some examples. This podcast is a great example. We need to be doing things like that. We need to be more in the mediums of different age groups and different demographics and where they are. The traditional things we've been doing just aren't working. Um, yes, we have some. We have a, a, a AMA today video program and so forth. But as far as I know, the the uh, uh, following on that is just it's just not large enough. It's not and so we need to alter where we are and where we're communicating. We also need to be much more transparent. I think I don't think we're transparent enough. Um, you know, there are some things obviously that we can't address at a certain point in time because of working with regulators or you know maybe a legal reason or something. But that's what we ought to be saying, right? We ought to be telling members that. You know, we, we can't ad- uh, address this now because of X, Y, or Z, but we can't because of X, Y, or Z. Um, and I don't know as if we are quite as responsive and leading edge as we need to be with communication. AMA needs to be the leading indicator of communication and what's going, not a lagging indicator of what's going on. Well, that's good because you, you kind of jumped right back into my next question about transparency and uh, communication between the AMA and what's happening with the FAA. Would you care to give us any of your thoughts on uh, the situation between the AMA and the FAA right now? Sure, I'll be happy to. I think, you know, I, I visited Washington a couple of times when uh, various members of the AMA Executive Council went to Washington, D.C., and we spoke to staffers. Uh, you know, I'm not steering that ship. I'm not leading that charge in D.C., but I wanted to be there to represent our members and, and present the best voice that I think I can to the to uh, our elected officials. And in terms of FAA and AMA, you know, I, I need to say that I think it's a bit of a bipolar relationship, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. But the FAA is an enormous agency, um, and sometimes when we deal with people in a particular office, like the unmanned systems office, the people in that organization can change every 12 to 18 months. And we're dealing with a whole new uh, uh, litany of people that we have to re-educate, inform them largely about AMA and what we do. Um, We have the same sort of problem when it comes to local regional FAA offices in Washington, D.C., and them having doing two different things or not instituting maybe a policy or directive in regard to model aviation in an even-handed fashion across the country. Um, you know, in a sense, that's, that's an FAA problem, but it's also an AMA problem. And it's something we need to be more cognizant of and be more on top of so we can help better drive the conversations. Do you have any input about the upcoming FAA exam for RC pilots? Well, I do. Um, I happen to be the AMA's representative to the FAA board that uh, was working on preparing that test. And while I haven't been told that I have the ability to divulge much about that yet, so I, I, I need to be careful about that, I will say that from my perspective, it was to make the test as easy and commonplace for members as we possibly could. Um, without having something that's overly burdensome. Frankly, I don't believe in the test is necessary for our members and the way we fly, but unfortunately it's uh, it's part of a law. And so my role was to see that we could try to make that test again as uh, sort of an, as easy as possible for members to, uh, to have to go through. I will say that, um, and this has been said by the Drone Advisory Councils and others, that they wanted the test to be what I would guess I would call it errorless learning. So it doesn't mean if you take the test and you fail, you're gone. No, it doesn't mean that at all. 
Um, I, I don't call it an open book test necessarily, um, but I would say that it's going to be one that um, we strive to make as simple as possible with the input we could give to the FAA. Can you say if this test will apply to all ABA members or only new ones? This test will apply, at least for now, to all recreational unmanned uh, aircraft owners. So there won't be any type of grandfather clause? No. Excuse me. I should say operators, not owners. Uh, there will currently, there's nothing in place for a, a grandfather clause that I'm aware of. Uh, I think there should be. I think it's something we should be fighting for. Um, the FAA just put out an RFI for organizations to um, seek to administer the test. Um, so I know there probably will be several organizations that will be seeking to administer it. Um, don't know how that's going to work out. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, my level of work in the test was really about the testing questions themselves and how much sense they made. And um, I would frankly tell you that AMA's position was to make the test as much about the law and what modelers have to do and know than anything else. So it wasn't necessary to, if from our position, to know extraneous information about, uh, um, you know, certain, uh, you know, um, classes of airspace and what the different classes mean and, and that sort of stuff that a general aviation pilot would, would need to know. How do you see the next two years unfolding for model aviation? I think the ten, next two years will be a very challenging time. There's no question about that. Uh, we have this new law, uh, generically known as 349, that covers several aspects of operating recreationally. I'm sure that will prove to be somewhat of a hindrance to mo new modelers. It'll prove to be a hindrance to existing modelers. Uh, AMA's role needs to be, for the time being, how can we best help modelers get through that that span of time and make it make the impacts as um, as, as less as possible? Uh, now, you know, I don't know what that picture will look like in terms of you know what the FAA will decide how it's going to be administering some parts of the law, but that's that's where we should be with that in terms of um, the growth and so forth. Well, again, that'll be another challenging time. But I always think that model aviation is so interesting. And there's so many different aspects of it. And there's so much to learn that we always can find new blood if we work in the right places to do that. Okay. And for the last uh, minute or two, can you uh, give us some last words or comments, anything else you'd like to uh, touch upon? Well, I would like to touch upon uh, some of what I've said uh, during our, our talk um, is that this is going to be. This will be an exceptionally challenging time. I've, I've mentioned that in my my campaign statements and some of my Facebook posts. Um, it's a time when AMA members should be as attuned as possible to AMA and and where we're going with this because we're trying to drive this in the best place we can for our members. Um, I will say that as far as my candidacy and running for AMA president, it's about new ideas, new thinking. It's about what it's always been my anyone will tell you my number one priority has been representation of the members. That's it. What's in their best interest? You know, it's not about AMA as an organization, as a group, because we don't get paid as officers. We're doing this simply because we think the hobby is great things for great people. Um, but I think there's going to have to be a lot of communication. I did suggest in my campaign statement that if elected, I will have a uh, a member committee, a work group that will be comprised of uh, representation of members, that AMA can get better feedback from the members about what we need to be doing and the job we're doing. Also an industry council that we will work much more closely than we have with various members of the model aviation industry uh, about what they're doing, new products, how we can be involved with that, and how we can work together for the benefit and the betterment of model aviation. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that, Eric. And is, is there a website or Facebook ID you can give us to share with the listeners? Sure. Um, so my campaign website is amaelection.com, or they can just go to uh, Eric Williams. I believe it's Eric Williams AMA uh, is my Facebook handle. Uh, I think you should be able to find me quite easily though, on Facebook. Well, again, thank you very much, Eric, for joining us, and good luck with the nomination. Thank you very much.
So with us right now is Rich Hansen. He's currently the AMA president, and he has been with the AMA for a long time. Is that 26 years? Is that correct, Rich? Well, yeah, 26 years as uh, part of the executive team, but I've been an AMA member since I was a young kid. So, wow. So, so you're in- since the late 60s. How many our- digits is your number? <laughs> uh, mine is, my original number is 69547, so it's a five-digit number. Nice. Wow. Very nice. You're you're definitely an RC lifer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I actually started out uh, about age six flying control line. I flew control line until I got off of active duty when I had enough money to buy our, an RC set. But yeah, I went from control line to RC and have pretty much done everything uh, in between. Okay. Well, we'd like to give you this opportunity to uh, tell us about yourself and why you want to continue as uh, the AMA president. Well, sure. Um, you know, just a little bit of background. I think most everybody knows me now. I've been in, involved in this for an awful long time. But as I mentioned, I started modeling as I was a kid. It got me into full-scale aviation, spent a career of flying helicopters and airplanes for 50 years. Uh, but I've always been a modeler. It's always been one of my biggest passions and, and advocations. And I got involved with AMA on the administrative level back in the late 80s, became an associate vice president. Uh, for those that might remember a uh, District 10 VP named Reg Kiava, that was an AVP under Reg. Reg ended up having some cardiac issues and a bypass surgery and had to step down. Uh, and that's really what brought me into the national scene. I, I took over as the District 10 VP, uh, spent 15 years as a District 10 VP, then stepped down to take on the job of the AMA's Director of uh, Government Affairs, and did that for about eight years, uh, then ran for president and have been president for going on my third year now. So all told, about 26 years total uh, at the executive level. Okay. So one of our questions for you is, what are your thoughts on recruiting and accommodating non-traditional modelers and non-AMA members? Well, I think... Anybody that hasn't been involved in model aviation is, is non-traditional in, in terms of uh, understanding and being part of the community. Uh, so I think we've always held a position that we need to outreach to uh, the communities at large to bring people into the hobby to basically just share the experience. I mean, I've been doing this since I was a kid, and it's always given me great joy. My family's been participant in it. It's a, it's a very wholesome and, and fun-filled activity from age six to, I used to say, 106. But um, So I, I think it's important. It's also important for the health of the organization to continue to recruit and bring in new people. Uh, there certainly is a strength in numbers when we start talking about uh, advocating for the hobby. Um, and it's just fun to have a large group of people out there enjoying model aviation. I agree. I love it. Oh, absolutely. There was a poll online that asked, what was the main purpose of an AMA membership? And the two most common responses were insurance and attending an event. Uh, What would you do to change the public's opinion of those two common answers? You know, you're right. We, We get that response a lot that people think of AMA as being their insurance provider. And that is one of our basic and most important benefits. But that really is just a benefit. It's not the purpose of membership. The per- purpose of membership is to support the hobby to and to share the hobby and also to advocate for the hobby. If I was to come up with the top three priorities uh, or purposes for the AMA, um, one is advocacy for the hobby, both promoting it to the general public as well as to, to policy and, and regulatory and legislative members. Um, the, the second would be to find and protect flying sites. Um, you know, a hobby like ours, we really don't have a hobby if we don't have some place to fly. So fly, finding flying sites is, is paramount. And the, the second one is to, or the third one rather, um, is, to, is to organize the hobby, you know, to help have competition, to help uh, put on events, uh, give a infrastructure for clubs to operate, and, and to keep the hobby going as far as the, um, the administration goes. And then I would put insurance in there. But again, it's a, it's a benefit of, of membership, not the purpose of membership. 
some members have responded that there's been a lack of communication between the AMA and its members regarding administrative issues. Um, what would you do to improve the lines of communication to your members? Well, that, that's always a struggle. And I think there's always a perception uh, that there's a lack of communications. Um, I would almost argue to the contrary that over the, the last several years, going all the way back when Dave Matthewson was president, then when he filled in as the executive director, then even my term as president, we've continually sought to improve our communications to our members. And we have all kinds, you know, starting with the magazine uh, that goes out every month. We have AMA Today, which is an electronic newsletter that goes out um, biweekly. We have uh, alerts that our government relations teams puts out almost weekly whenever there's something new or new information about what's going on on the regulatory arena. Uh, and then we do um, our video uh, presentations as well. Um, so I think we're, there's always ways of improving, but maybe the biggest challenge is making sure under, people understand where they can find the communication and direct them to it because there is an awful lot of communication that's going out. And if we're not putting out the right things or the things that people want to hear about, I hope that they would give us that feedback so that we can make adjustments to the communication uh, media uh, content and get the appropriate and, and the desired content to our members. Okay, we'd like to talk about the AMA and the dun, 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 FAA. Sure. <laughs> if, you've ever heard, if you've ever heard our podcast, that's, uh, that's a bad word for me. But uh, what are your basic thoughts on the current relationship between the AMA and the FAA? Where do we stand? Well, I think in general we have, have a good relation, actually a very close relationship with the FAA. Um, you know, it's, it's been evolving back in the, day, the days when I was a kid and, and most of my life as an AMA member. FAA has kind of taken a hands-off approach to model aviation. Uh, they've always been there. They've always... Uh, understood AMA's presence and the the importance of the model aviation community. But it wasn't until we really got into this drone arena back in 2007-2008 when we saw the need to regulate uh, the unmanned aircraft industry that really kind of drew us into what I would consider kind of a quagmire of the regulatory process. Um, that was when I stepped down as the District 10 VP and became AMA's government regulatory uh, affairs representative. And we actually sat on the original aviation rulemaking committee, the ARC, back in 2008 and 2009 with the understanding that we were there to bring our expertise and experience to help um, drive the regulation. The problem that I, in my opinion, that FA got into was the technology was growing and evolving at such a rapid pace uh, as the, this new platform was being developed that they couldn't by any means keep up with it on the regulatory process. You know, normally it takes a minimum of three years and even as much as seven years to get new regulation on the books from the, the time that they start getting um, public comment until it's actually uh promulgated as a rule is a pretty lengthy promise and during process and during that time um, things kept changing and even today I would say they're they're behind the curve as far as getting regulation in place um, but we've always been at the table I mean, we've never walked away from the table we've never um, I won't say we've never not been we've never really been adversarial we have had differences of opinion and we've tried to make the FAA understand how mal aviation is different than the, the newer technology UAS aircraft, uh, how mal aviation is more diverse, how it has greater needs uh, and has specific needs. And because FAA previously had taken sort of a hands-off approach, there's not as much understanding and knowledge within the FAA about mal aviation. Uh, fortunately, we have a lot of members that are actually part of the FAA, and they have helped a lot towards bringing these issues forward. But um, we're, we're still working with the FAA. I won't say we're, to an extent, we're, we're struggling, but the only struggling from a process standpoint, not from a goals standpoint. 
And it'll probably take another two to three years before the latest changes to the FAA reauthorization uh, get fully implemented. Was there or have there been discussions in regards to UAS systems as in uh, aspect of uh, pure line of sight, uh, traditional modeling aircraft versus, say, GPS-enabled semi-autonomous aircraft and how that might affect rulemaking and the differences between those types of models. Um, well, you're exactly right as far as the distinction between the two. Just interestingly enough, I, um, my November, the president's perspective in the November column, they'll come out in model aviation. I spoke to that, that exact issue of how traditional model aircraft operate different, have different operating limitations than, than the new uh, drone aircraft that have onboard guidance, and automated control systems. Unfortunately, the legislature and even the FAA don't make that same distinction. When we talk to them, they understand the distinction, but the regulations and the, and the legislation are a one-size-fits-all approach. And that becomes very problematic for us because we know that one size doesn't fit all as far as uh, mal aviation goes. It's one of the reasons why AMA's safety program has had different guidance for different types of aircraft. I mean, if, if you're flying soaring, thermal soaring, for instance, the rules for that and the safety considerations are much different than if you do an RC, RC pylon racing. And you can make those same distinctions, certainly control line, which we actually put in an, into an entirely different category and don't really believe that they meet the definition of a true aircraft because they're tethered. Um, the safety guidelines for control line don't match anywhere near the safety guidelines for RC aircraft. But unfortunately, the uh, legislature, the Congress, and FAA want to take a, a more of a one-size-fits-all, and that, that becomes really problematic for us. Is that just because it's easier for them to do the broad brush approach? I think it's because two things. One is certainly easier, um, uh, and that is the way they would prefer to do it because it's easier. I think secondly is that it's really they're addressing what they seem to be the risk issue, which is the drone community. Mm -hmm. um, when they were working on this most recent FAA reauthorization bill, and we were up and talking to people in Congress time after time. What we would hear is, hey, we have no problem with you guys. You guys are the, are the gold standard. We understand that you guys operate safety. What we're really concerned about is this new community of, of drone users and the, the fashion in which they're operating their aircraft, and in some cases, actually, what they believe to be endangering the national airspace. So they're writing... Um, the legislation and the regulation to address that broader community, but still, unfortunately, <laughs> having unintended consequences of impacting our community. Right. Now, I will tell you that when this latest reauthorization bill passed, Congress told us that there was no intention to impact model aviation by this bill and that they were giving FAA the latitude to provide exceptions for the model aviation community. And that's where we're at today. We're trying to work through those exceptions and creating a, a means by which they give us those exceptions. And that's Do they a, seem, does the FAA seem willing to, to pursue exceptions? They do. They okay. do. It's certainly at the upper level. But the, when you get down to the field level, um, because one of the requirements that now is that when we're operating within controlled airspace, we at a fixed uh, club facility or flying site, we need to have a letter of agreement with the either the uh, local tower for an airport or a traffic control center that's managing that um, airspace. Mm -hmm. And those people don't really understand what the authorization means. They're a little concerned about providing an authorization that would create some kind of liability or consequences of if there's a mishap. So it, it's a real educational process of working through that. But generally, I would say yes. The FAA understands uh, that they need to make these exceptions, and every time we've met with them, that's been the bottom line. We need to find a, a way of doing this. It's just a matter of determining how we do that. So 
speaking of, I love how you use the word quagmire. Uh, one of the regulations that was handed down is that the FAA is going to have an exam come out soon. What are your thoughts on how that's going to affect model aviation? Well, I, I don't think it's going to affect model aviation uh, from the standpoint of, of interfering with model aviation. It's going to be a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow for people that have been flying model airplanes for decades, and you're going, really? Now i got to take a test <laughs> to do it. But the test is going to be simple enough. It's almost going to be uh, to the point that you can't fail it. Even if you, if you put down the wrong answer, it's going to point you back and say, hey, take, take another look at this question. Uh, so from a, a process standpoint, it's going to be very simple and easy to do. But like I said, I, th- I think it's going to be a bitter pill to s- swallow. Uh, and, and, and I will tell you my personal opinion. I don't understand why you would require uh, anybody that's been in the hobby for more than a year or two to have to take this test because they certainly have learned uh, the appropriate and, and responsible way of flying model airplanes. Um, but the Congress did put that into the bill that recreational flyers have to take a knowledge test um, and we have, um, I don't know if you guys have interviewed Eric yet, but Eric actually is part of our 2020 committee, and he sits on the committee that is uh, developing the test questions. So he's been very watchful to make sure that they are appropriate and are not o- overreaching. Um, and he has told us that the questions themselves and the topic and the testing concept uh, will be a cakewalk. But We'll still have to do it, and that's where the I think the kickback is going to be. People just aren't going to understand why why we have to do this. So I'm going to move to uh, the future. What do you see happening for the next couple of years for model aviation? Well, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it's it's going to take two or three years before we fully men, implemented uh, the new Section 349, which replaced the old special rule for model air, aircraft, Section 336. So there's still sort of a question mark at the end of that sentence. Um, You know, they have not finalized by any means the testing process and what that'll mean. There still is a requirement for remote identification, which means aircraft have to be identifiable uh, when they're operating in the airspace. Um, And there's other regulatory uh, impacts that, that may evolve out of that things like what they're calling unmanned traffic management systems and how we operate within the systems. Um, So I think given that exactly where we're going has a little bit of a question mark in, but I, what I have said since I took over the government relations work in 2008 is that I believe that mall aviation will continue to operate pretty much the way it does today uh, for years and decades to come for generations to come. We'll still be flying model aircraft pretty much the way that we do today. But there will be some more administrative donning of I's and crossings of T's. The most uh, prevalent example was registration. I mean, it had minimal impact. You, you go online, with you can do it within 10 minutes. It costs $5 and you register your aircraft. But conceptually, it's like just like testing. We're going, you know, why is this necessary? Why are we having to do this? Uh, and there'll be some other things. Now, the letter of agreements are another administrative requirement. Um, the remote ID is going to have some impact. Now, if you're flying at a flying site, it'll probably be pretty much transparent uh, for the average modeler. But if you want to go out and find your own safe place to fly, complying with remote ID may have additional requirements, such as going on a cell phone and, and broadcasting where you're, where you're operating at. So, But... From the traditional model aircraft standpoint, how we operate, I don't see that changing dramatically. What I do see changing, or what's going to be added to it, is this new technology. How this new technology evolves and becomes part of our hobby, uh, I think is going to be not only interesting, but exciting. I think there's going to be whole new competitions. We're starting to see drone racing as a brand new competition that comes out of this technology. And I think there'll be other ways of, of participating in the hobby and competing in the hobby and having fun with the use of this new technology. So I think that evolution is going to, uh, to bring the hobby into the future. 
Well, thank you, Rich, for coming on the show and, and talking to us. Do you have any last thoughts you'd like to share with your with our listeners? Well, sure. I, one, I my the message I'd like to give out to the members is continue to enjoy the hobby. I mean, that's really what it's all about is to, to enjoy and have fun uh, uh, doing what we love, which is flying model aircraft. Um, and if I had a, a request it would be to make sure that everybody continues to fly safely and responsibly. Unfortunately, incidences that do occur <laughs> come back to bite us from time to time. And although it's normally not coming from the model aviation community, we certainly want to make sure that in the future it still does not come from our AMA community. And, and last but not least, um, you know, participate with the AMA. You know, if you have questions, if you have things that, uh, don't make sense to you. If you're looking for more information, if you're looking for feedback, um, feel free to, to write me, to write anybody on the council, your, your district VP or staff. Everybody is there to, to help you and to work with you and try and get you the right information. And I guess I would add one more thing is, you know, if, if you uh, really have an interest in the hobby and would like to contribute more to the hobby, Think about getting into leadership, become a club uh, officer, become an associate vice president, become a leader member, maybe even run for VMA president someday. <laughs> We'd love to get some new blood uh, up at the top. Well, thank you again, Rich Hansen, president of the AMA, and we uh, appreciate you coming on our show. Oh, thanks, you guys. I appreciate you having me. With us now is Randy Cameron. He is an executive vice president for District 6. Randy, welcome to our show. Thank you. So we'd like you to tell us a little bit about yourself and why you would like to be AMA president. All right. Well, uh, about myself, like I say, I'm retired Air Force. Uh, I spent 22 years in the Air Force, and I've been retired for 24 years now. Uh, I am currently employed with a hospital where I take care of, manage about a uh, little over a thousand servers. Uh, it's a hospital system. There's eight hospitals included. More information about my AMA experience might be better. I've been a member since the 80s, a leader member since the late 80s, mid to late 80s, contest director since the mid six or 90s, and uh, I was the district six contest coordinator, if you guys know what that is. Uh, for about 10 years, and then I was an associate vice president for five years for District 6. And then in 2012, I got elected and took office the 1st of January as the District 6 vice president. And I did that for about five years, and then I was elected as the executive vice president, which is directly under the president, and the individual that would take over if the current president died. Uh, I serve on a bunch of committees, uh, special interest group. I'm the chair for the special interest group committee. I am uh, the chair for the property acquisition and development committee, the flying site grant committee, and several others. So. What field of model aviation do you enjoy the most? Oh, I'm pretty much a sport flyer, to be honest. I, I mean, I like all aspects of it, but for the most part, uh, just sports stuff at the moment. What are your thoughts on recruiting and accommodating non-traditional modelers or non-AMA members? Well, we definitely need to have more members in, in multiple groups. Uh, are you talking typically like drones or is that what you're thinking, the guys that fly drones? And I, I don't know, but um, I'm the one that got multi-GP set up as being a, an AMA SIG. Uh, and I tried to, you know, and it, one of the good things about them is they follow our rules and aren't a problem. And I, I think I had drones in mind with that question, but another take on that is the flight test community, which is a, a large group of active modelers right. who probably with a large percentage are not AMA members. Right. No, I, I know. And Josh is a great guy over at flight test and, um, I'd like to do a lot more with them, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, we we had them um, do the make and take at AMA Expo West 
at one time, and they did a great job. I really like the way they, well, their philosophy on it needs to be family involved, not just the kid. You know, they're not going to babysit anybody's kid. They don't want to do that, but, you know, they sure help mom and dad help the, the child. Mm-hmm. I like that philosophy. And along that lines, I'd really like to see an AMA family membership evolve. Something that they can use and we can. Okay. I'd, I'd love to partner with them a lot more. Okay, interesting. I like that. There was a recent online poll that asked what was the main purpose of being an AMA member, and most of the responses were insurance or attending an event. So what would you do to change the public's view on those two common answers? Well, there are a lot more things we do, but in all honesty, that probably is the primary reasoning for for members joining is, you know, mostly for the mem- or the insurance, of course. Um, some for competition as well. Uh, some of the things that people really probably don't know about, and uh, is this is partially that has to do with communications as well. I don't think we communicate all our programs well enough to our membership. You know, we've got scholarship programs, we've got flying site grant programs, and things of that nature. We even got uh, what they call tag grant, take off and grow. Um, where a district gets a couple thousand dollars that they can distribute out to different clubs that apply for it, things of that nature. And like, I, I know in one district for like 13 years in a row, it was the same club that got the max amount they can get over and over and over simply because nobody else knew about it. <laughs> I, I kind of laugh too, but that's, you know, you know, if, if it's working for you, I guess, you know, keep doing it. But uh, we need to get, stuff like that under control it took too long for AMA and the, the district vice presidents and stuff to figure out what was going on with that and I don't know that they weren't having a great event the take off and grow events you know maybe they were but we need well, to spread that wealth you kind of touched on something that leads into our next question, which is lack of communication. Some people feel like the AMA is not doing enough to communicate with its members or there's, like you said, items out there that is available, but people don't know about it. What would you do to improve that line of communication? Well, that's a good question. I mean, we, we publicize a lot of stuff in the magazine and in all honesty, I don't know that that's working that well anymore. I got hit up, uh, by a guy, I mean, you know, AMA gave away a quarter of a million dollars last year in grants. And I got beat up by a guy at the Toledo show that, well, my club didn't get any money. You know, well, did you apply? No. <laughs> did you know about the program? No. Do you read the magazine? No. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, so uh, it's a two-way street, too. I mean, we're doing a lot more blogs and uh, – the live, you know, the, the the TV program or show you want to YouTube type shows that are out there, but I think they're getting about five thousand hits a month for those shows, which isn't a lot. There's always been a discussion about how the AMA is dealing with the FAA. I don't think anybody was happy at all with how the FAA just kind of uh, caught us by surprise. And uh, as we've mentioned in the past, just uh, threw us under the bus uh, with regulations that were really meant for, uh, how do I say, rogue drone pilots. So what are your what are your thoughts right now on how the AMA is working or not working with the FAA? Well, I think we are working with the FAA as much as possible. However, there's so many different, you know, it's it's big government bureaucracy. And left hand sometimes doesn't talk to the right hand. And the air traffic control guys have decided that the uh, U.S. integration office isn't moving fast enough. So, of course, they decide they're going to start putting limits on people. And that they're the ones we have to coordinate the... Um, memorandum of agreements, you know, the agreements with them. And so, and they've been restricting a lot of people to 400 feet, which is not good um, without looking at what we've been doing for the last 50 years, in all honesty. And And as a glider pilot myself, I think the 400 foot rule was a terrible restriction. 
Oh, well, it is. Yeah. I agree 100%. I mean, they need to look. I, I understand if you're close to an airport where you might might need to stay low, but in a lot of instances, we've been right there for 50 or 60 years, and you, they didn't even know we were there. Yeah. So you, we're not causing any interference with their traffic or anything of that nature. Do you think that the AMA, and especially if you're nominated as president, have, would have the ability to, to turn the tides and, and give AMA members a little bit more benefit of, you know, I say benefit of the doubt, but to give us a little bit more respect that we've been uh, very safe? I, I think actually AMA is fairly well respected within the FAA and Congress. Um, Congress is the one that made the laws and they shut us out and wouldn't let us respond to anything for several days and then they just all approved it and walked away. Um, that's what limited it to the 400 feet in G airspace and, and things like that. And the fact that we're going to have to take a test. And I know, you, and you talked to Eric tonight, so I realize he's the one that's doing the testing or been working with him for the testing. He's done a fantastic job there. Uh, a little plug for him, I guess, but, uh, you know, it's all the same. It's all the same family. <laughs> We're all working yeah. in this together. Yeah. And I, Eric's a great guy. I, you know, um, he's helped a lot with the questions, you know, bringing it down to a, a level where kids can take the test, things of that nature. Um, they were going to do just like a 107 test, basically, where you have to go in and pay $150 to take the test. And, of course, we've been fighting that tooth and nail. And I, if we get our way, and I'm hoping we will, and it kind of looks like we might, but the test will be, we'll be able to administer the test so our members wouldn't have to pay anything. And we feel that, you know, if that's going to be a federal requirement for you to have some kind of a test done, if we can give it to other modelers that aren't necessarily AMA members, it might help bring it to us as well, bring them to us some. Uh, and there'd be a small fee for it for them, non-members. What could you provide as president to possibly, you know, or as far as ideas to alleviate some of the tension that members feel uh, with like the regulations of a test coming up and comments that Lance might be involved and remote right. ID tagging? Do you feel like you have uh, something to provide the AMA members as president to reduce that? Well, I think just communicating with them and letting them know where we're at is the main thing. Uh, and what we're doing, and I don't think we've done a very good job at that right now. And uh, I would try and increase that communication if at all possible. Um, of course, everything's still up in the air, and it's fluid. I mean, it changes from day to day. So it, I'm on the, uh, they call it AMA 2020 team, and that has the government relations people in it, and we kind of help that committee helps provide direction to that team and uh, Tyler Dobbs. He's been doing a great job. He's, he's a pretty impressive kid. And I, I call him a kid. He's a young man for me as you know, but he's, he's, he's doing great. And Chad right along with him, who was the director of the government relations team previous to getting into uh, being the executive director, they, they've both done great. And then Chad's still, fairly involved in that side of it as well. What do you see happening for model aviation in the next uh, few years? Are there, is there any exciting things that you see coming down the road or do you see any more uh, tensions building with other possible regulations? Well, I don't think we're going to have any more additional regulations added uh, that aren't already there. Uh, fighting and working through getting exemptions things of that nature. I mean, that's what we're doing right now with the letters of agreements with the control towers in controlled airspace. What, what we would like to do is I don't think the FAA is going to want to make another two, you know, 2,400 or 2,200 letters of agreement, you know, with each club that's not in controlled airspace uh, to fly above 400 feet. And so I think it's going to be a challenge there. Um, but I think what we're hoping for is to get up to E 
Class E space was about 1,800 feet typically, and it varies a little bit from area to area. But if you're not in controlled airspace, get to those altitudes at a minimum. Um, and just as kind of a generic letter agreement between, basically between the AMA and the FAA, and not have each club have an agreement. So this would be a blanket agreement? Uh, right. That's one, that's one of the things we're working on, yeah. Can we just send the FAA a blanket agreement to leave us alone? <laughs> yeah, I wish. You know, hey. Thank you for answering all those questions. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners and AMA members? Well, not not off the top of my head right now, to be honest. I mean, keep flying the way we have been until they just hold our nail our feet down to the floor, you know. Uh, we'll keep everybody posted, I think, uh, or try to. It might be through the websites. It might be through the AMA Todays. I don't know. Do you guys get those videos and watch them? And oh, sure. That's that's a good good avenue. But again, that's the one that's only getting about five thousand viewers. Right. So that's a very small percentage of our membership. Oh. So and and a, a huge another huge percentage of the membership doesn't read the magazine. I mean, I've like I say, I've been beat up by people, and it's like, well, it's been in the magazine, you know. Well, and I will say we have a tough time. Many of my good friends I see at the flying field, they don't use Facebook. But yet right. our podcast is, does a, a lot of promotion and, and material on Facebook. So we're also looking for ways of reaching those people. So we're, you know, I mean, riding your coattails too. We'll hope you find a, a better way of getting with these people. Me too. And maybe, you know, between the two of us or the, the three of you and, and us, maybe we can come up with something that works better. I, I would love to. I'd love to work with you and make that happen. Hey, Randy, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, good luck with the nomination. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. As always, give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. This is something new for us, and if you like it, tell us. If you didn't like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell us anyway. No, no, don't tell us. (laughs) Just tell Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Flood Lee's mailbox with a mail. <laughs> so okay, so now you've heard what everybody had to say. You've got no excuse for not voting, and you also have no excuse for not being educated about who you vote for. So uh, go out there and make your vote count. Be heard. Rock the vote. Can I comment on this? This was an opportunity where we had three senior leaders within the AMA on the phone with us or you know the virtual phone and lee was so well behaved no straight <laughs> jackets <amazing>. required <laughs> no, I, I commend you and your level of restraint yeah good work smithers i will say when we when we got on the faa topic my left leg started shaking and my fist was squeezing you know, blood from my fingers uh, not because of the responses you were hearing but just not, because no, yeah that topic elicits that response in you no matter what just because of the hard truth that we're facing as AMA slash model aviation enthusiasts. Yeah. I, I, I think we got uh, kind of a treat here to see somewhat of the inner workings of the AMA and their dealings with the FAA. Well, do you think, I don't know, I, my thoughts all along, and I'm always surprised by how small this community is of, of modelers. And these people who are running for president and who have been doing these executive jobs for years they're people like us. They are us. They're the lifers. So, yeah, just like this guy, you know. <laughs> it's like when I go to like when I go to my son's baseball game. Don't yell at the coaches. They're just guys volunteering their time and not right. getting paid. People <laughs> so. who care enough to go beyond the level of griping about how things are and trying to do something about it. So, yeah, yeah we should note that all three are dedicated modelers and um, leadership in the AMA. Yes. And it sounds like they all know each other very well. They work together, and there's no animosity here. They just have slightly different views on how to approach things, and they, you know, they want to do the best for the AMA in their own special way. I, I almost wish we could have a national presidential election as as good as these three guys. I feel like all three are qualified. I didn't feel like anybody was, you know, harassing <laughs> or, you know. <laughs> no one was saying the other person's candidates were deplorables. Uh, or right, and none of the above. I, and, 
I, I could say as an AMA member, I feel very confident supporting any of these three candidates, especially for those of you out there that don't know who they are. They're, they were very kind enough to share their thoughts with us, and uh, they all came from the heart. Uh, and don't bother emailing us asking for our endorsement, because I think we're all keeping that to ourselves. Uh, listen to what they had to say and decide for yourself and, and send in that ballot. All right. Well, that said, I want to thank everybody for listening in to this uh, very special election edition of the RC Roundtable. I'd say vote or fly, but that doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com, where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts, where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.